And so we ask what the text means for us today. We ask that you would show us exactly what it means. Because we know that every person is on a different part of their journey here this morning. And everyone may need to hear something different. And so we trust that the Holy Spirit will teach each one of us that which we need to hear. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I want to begin by asking you a question. How is it with your soul today? How is it with your soul today? You know, that's an ancient Quaker way of greeting each other. You see, most of the time when we meet with our friends or when we come to church, even when we come to church, we say, hey, happy Sabbath, how are you doing? And what is the typical response that we give back to people when they say that to us? Happy Sabbath, I'm doing good, or I'm fine. And I know this is a topic of conversation that comes up time and time again, but when people ask us how we're doing, we don't really think they want to know, so we just say, fine. Usually because maybe we don't want to open up all of the dirty details of our lives or all of the depressing things or the things that are worrying us, our fears, our anxieties, or we don't want to sound too braggy by saying, you know what, life is great. I got a bonus at work. My health is good. I've lost 10 pounds. I'm running every day. I, you know, I don't I made a good investment and now I'm a millionaire. Like, you know, like, so so we have this kind of tension between us where we don't really want to share everything and we don't want to, because sometimes it's bad and we don't want to share all the good stuff. But I wonder what it would be like if when we greeted one another, we did what the Quakers did and asked, how is it with your soul? And then really stopped to listen. I wonder what it would be like for those of you who are in relationships if you were to ask your husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend and ask them on a daily, so how is it with your soul? I wonder what kind of responses we would get because I think in 2019, we don't do a very good job of knowing how our soul is doing. And I know some of you are sitting there and the wheels are turning in your head and you're thinking, well, how is my soul doing? I don't know. Good? I hope it's good. So if that question is a little too hard or too difficult to really wrap your mind around, let me ask you a second question that might actually help you to determine how your soul is doing. Ready? How is your belly doing this morning? Like what's flowing out of it? Some of you are grossed out. Like, you know, Pastor, what's flowing out of my belly? But you know, in the ancient world, in the Hebrew world, and when I use the word the Hebrew world in the Old Testament, right, the, the first group of people that really had this connection with God, they understood, they understood that the belly was kind of like the seat of their soul. Like, that's where, who they were, it was right here. And this is true because If you've ever felt any anxiety or worry or sadness or anger, where do you feel it oftentimes? Where does it start? It starts right here, right? Like you can't eat, you can't, you know, you're just like all tensed up. And so the anxiety rises from down here. The sadness, if you've ever had a broken heart, it like starts here, but then it like goes everywhere, right? Like, but it all begins in the belly, Like, that is the seat of who we are. And so then the Bible writers write about your belly or your stomach. What they're saying is, how is your soul? So I want to invite you to open up to John, the book of John chapter 7. And I'm actually going to use the Red Bible because I didn't prepare a a PowerPoint today. So if you have the Red Bible in front of you, we're going to John chapter 7, verse 
And that's page 756. I want you to keep in mind, how is my belly and what is flowing out of it? We have potluck today, by the way, so you're invited. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, a feast, by the way, where the first century people were celebrating the fact that when the Israelites were rescued from Egypt and they were in the desert, right, and they were on their way to the promised land, this was a feast where they were remembering that God gave them water. God provided for them water and food for their, for their crops. Everything they needed, God provided for them. And this is the feast where they were remembering that God is the giver of water. That's important. So on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. But up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. I'm going to switch over to my other Bible translation because I feel like when I prepared this, it said something different. Here it is. It says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. Out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now, if you have the NRSV or the ESV and maybe some of the other Bible translations, the New King James Version, what it'll say right there where it says, out of the heart, what it'll say down at the bottom is actually, it says, belly. So again, I ask, what is flowing out of your belly? Out of the depths of the soul, out of the depths of your own soul and your heart, everything that is who you are, what is flowing out? You see, these people were celebrating something that had happened thousands of years ago. And Jesus was standing before them in their midst, and he was saying, yes, that was amazing, and that is great, and that is something we can remember, that God was faithful to us. He says, but now standing in front of you, there is someone who is giving you the message, the presence, and if you drink, if you accept what Jesus is giving you, the Bible says, out of your heart, out of your belly, shall flow rivers of living water. You know, that's a biblical way of saying that you will have joy, that you will feel peace and fullness. You know, there's another Bible verse that Jesus says that out of the overflow of the heart, our mouths speak. And it's another way of saying that whatever you are filled with is going to come out. But you see, for so many of us living in 2019, I'm sorry, I keep spitting in this. But for so many of us, if we really ask ourselves, are we flowing with springs of life? Most people may say no. Because if we ask, how are you doing? Most people will probably talk about all of the negative things that are happening in their lives before they say, I am overfilled with the Spirit of God. And yet God is wanting to fill you. God is wanting to give all of his blessing and all of his spirit to you. There's a prayer in scripture that the, that the uh, prophet says, fill me with a double portion of your spirit. 
So when we pray and when we ask God to fill us, what we're saying is, please do what Jesus promised that he would do, that he would fill us with this, with this stream of flowing water of life, a spring that goes from within us, from the depths of our soul. And before today is over, I'm going to share with you a few ways where you can, if you're feeling like your soul is parched, how you can begin to quench that thirst within you. You know, it's interesting. Whenever we come to God, we often want God to rearrange the things that are going on outside of us. Oh, God, I got this debt and I need your help. Somehow help me to find some more money some way, somehow. Or God, I have this physical illness and I just need your help. God, my job, my job isn't going very well. I need you to fix the people around me. God, my relationship isn't working. I need you to fix my husband or my wife. God, my neighbors are annoying me. Can you please, right? But, but what do we do? We, we, when, we, when we pray, so much of the time we're asking God to change and rearrange the life that is around us. And God can do that. But God is more interested, interested in rearranging and fixing what's within you. You see, because what we find in the Bible is that relationship to God, faith, the spring of living water that comes from within you, always begins with the source of the one who has the ability to give you unending joy. And so we ask the question, how is it with your soul? Does it feel like a desert, like a dry land? Or do you feel like you are an oasis where there is overfilling with joy of the, uh, with the joy of Christ in your life? And so we ask God, please rearrange what is going on within us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 reminds us that we live by faith, not just by sight. And so we can't see our souls We don't really know. I mean, we can't even fully explain it. All we know is that at birth, God breathes into us the breath of life. And the breath of life, the word that is used in Scripture, is the same as what is used to talk about the Spirit of God. And so every breath that you breathe, that's why sometimes when we're we're having anxiety attacks or when we're feeling anxious, what is it that people tell you to do? Breathe. Because somehow, some way, in God's infinite wisdom, God knows that if we can just pay attention to the way that we're breathing, we get reconnected to the fact that we were made by someone. Look, the body, and here's what's interesting about the human body. The human body wants to live. And I don't know how, and this is not scientific, but I somehow believe that's because some, in some way the Spirit of God is flowing through us, and the Spirit of God is not easily quenched. Now, we know that everyone in this world may ultimately die. So we know that's just a normal part of life. But there's no sense in living a life that's not filled with the Spirit. It's not not so bad that we die. It's that we live lives as though we're already dead, and we're not living with the presence of Jesus in our lives. That's scarier to live a life that is not connected to the source of life. And so it's really interesting, like even just in our breathing, it's like God's reminder of, you may not think I'm with you, but I'm with you. Because it is because of me that your whole existence is even possible. 
and the pneuma, the breath, the spirit of God is within us. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he says, do not quench the spirit. And yet I think that we find so many different ways to quench the spirit of God in our lives. You know, we're so easily distracted. We're so easily worried. We're so easily taken off track from really keeping our eyes on Jesus that it's so easy for us to quench the spirit. And I know that may be a theological debate about how the spirit of God cannot be quenched. But clearly to Paul, he says there is some way that you can quench the spirit of God in your life. And sometimes it's because we're not open to the presence of God. You know, we get so busy, and I'm not saying like, you know, if you don't start your day with Bible reading that you're somehow going to have a terrible day or you're not a good Christian. That's not true. But I think we give our soul, our attention, our allegiance, our trust, oftentimes in so many things that aren't God, that by doing so, we kind of quench or we neglect the Spirit of God within us. And so we ask the question, what keeps our soul from flourishing? Because that's what we're doing here. This whole sermon series is called Created to Flourish. God creates each one of us to flourish. Yes, we're going to eventually spend eternity with God. Yes, God has forgiven us of our sins, but also God created us to live on this earth right now. And so we can't just preach a gospel that's going to evacuate us from this world to go to some heavenly place, but rather we want to learn from Scripture what it means to live as people who are filled with the Spirit, from with our bellies is flowing the rivers of life, and how we can live as an oasis in what sometimes feels like a desert place in this world. You see, the gospel is not just for the salvation of our souls, but the gospel is to teach us how we get to live in this world And if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go on the podcast or on the video sermon to really kind of get some context for what I'm saying here. But things keep our souls from flourishing. You know, oftentimes we look at other people's lives, and and I'm not saying you look at my life, but sometimes we look at the lives of pastors. And I know I do this when I go to visit other pastors that I admire. Well, hardly ever, right? But the few times I get to go to church and see pastors that I admire, and they're preaching a good sermon, and I'm just like, man, I'm in, the, I'm in the moment, and I'm just like, man, this guy is so spiritual and holy because of the word that he's bringing. I said, man, I want to be like that guy, and then I go home and I Google, well, what does he do for his spiritual practices, and what, how do, what does he read in the morning? Like, I do that, and I remember, like, that's his path. Every one of you has a sacred pathway that God is inviting you into, into how you connect, And I have to remind myself, I shouldn't do that. I should just focus instead on what God is calling my own soul to do because every one of us is different. You know, sometimes we look at other people in the faith, and I know I used to do this oftentimes with Kurt Mountain. Like, I would look at that guy, and I'd be like, man, I want to memorize more Bible verses. Because if we remember Kurt, he would always say, like, you need to memorize Bible verses because you never know when God's going to, like, when you're going to need it and God's going to pull it out of you. But if you don't have the Bible verses memorized, God's not going to be able to pull that out of you. And I would remember, like, yeah, let's do that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to practice. And, and I would, would want to do that. And I still think it's a good idea to memorize Bible verses because it's just fun and it's good and it fills you. But I was trying to live his pathway And the reality is, is sometimes instead of us trying to do more to correct our ways, we sometimes have to take a step back and say, all right, God, what is it that you are asking me and inviting me and the pathway that you're calling me into? 
You know, instead of worrying about all the things that we should do, we should focus more on what is the soul that is connected to God asking me to do. But we don't do that well. We try to willpower our way into everything in life. And willpower is a good thing. I mean, it's not bad. But when it comes to spiritual realities and the things of the soul, sometimes willpower isn't enough. So let me give you an example. There was a psychologist who studies willpower, and he decided to come up with a test to see how, how people handle willpower. So there were two groups. The first group was in a room, and there, were, there was a platter of chocolate chip cookies. They were just out of the oven. They were warm. They were smelling good. They were, you know, the gooey ones, really good ones, you know, the ones that you want right now because I just put that into your mind. And in order to test their willpower, he says, all right, it's going to be there, but in, for five, five minutes, you don't get to eat those cookies. You only get to eat radishes. No thanks. It's not worth the $25, <laughs> you know. So for five minutes, all they had to do was resist eating these nice, good chocolate chip cookies, and they only ate radishes. The other group didn't have to resist. Do whatever they want. After those five minutes were up, he then had them, he gave each of them the same exact mathematical equation that was actually unsolvable. It was not a real equation. But what he said is, what he found is that the group that had to exert more willpower from eating those chocolate chip cookies gave up a lot faster than the group that didn't have to have the willpower. Now, what does this mean for us and our soul is that sometimes we try to force ourselves to be a certain way. We try to willpower our way into being a certain way. But what ends up happening is like when you exert so much willpower, we're not very good creatures at maintaining that willpower. And that's why I'm saying sometimes we have to take a step back and just receive the gift that Jesus is offering in John 7, where he says, anyone who drinks of me, which is just anyone who's in my presence, anyone who prays, anyone who asks, I will pour out my spirit. Water is just a symbol for spirit. I will pour out my spirit and fill you so that out of the seat of your being, out of the belly, out of who you truly are, will spring out the spirit of life. And we know this, and this is one of the things I love about the Seventh-day Adventist Church when we talk about our health message. Does what you put in your body really affect you? Yeah. Tonight at sundown, go eat like the most unhealthy thing you could think of. I give you permission and then tell me how you sleep that tonight. <laughs> You're going to feel, most of us are going to feel terrible. If we eat too much, if we eat the wrong things, we're good. It's good. And, and, and not only that, it makes us irritable. It makes us not fun to be around. You can't sleep. And then it affects the rest of your day. But if you're putting in the right nutrients into your body, what happens? You have more clarity. You have more energy. The people that say, oh, I made this lifestyle change, and now I have more clarity. I feel better. I have more energy. That's because that's how God designed us. Your mind, your body, and your soul, all of that is interconnected, and God had a plan for us from the beginning. But even more than that, God says, out of the part of who you truly are, the belly, everything flows out. And Paul reminds us, do not quench the Spirit. Do not put into yourself, and I'm not just talking about food, but do not expose yourself to things that are going to quench the Spirit. Do not, do not expose yourselves to things that are going to take you off the path that leads to the only one that gives you life. 
There is no one-size-fits-all to soul flourishing and your spirituality. You have to learn to listen. Now, I want to give you a quick example. Oh, we got time. So if you open up to Exodus, I'm going to use my Bible. Um, because I didn't use a red one to prepare. If you go to Exodus chapter 2. This is right after that dark story where Moses kills a guy for beating someone else up. Verse 15, the second part said this. So verse 15 says this. When Pharaoh heard of it, what Moses had done, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he settled in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. See, Moses obviously did something bad, but he tried to do it because it was something he thought he was doing that was good. But see, Moses' past action was catching up to him, and he fled. And the Bible tells us, and again, like you have to really read into this, but he says that he settled in the land of Midian. He went hundreds of miles away. He fled on his own. The Bible doesn't tell us that he took anything or he went with anyone. He just left by himself, and he sat down by a well, which we think is just one of those transition to, transitionary moments in Scripture that leads us to the next, the next story. But there's a lot here because what it tells us is that Moses fled in solitude. He knew that he couldn't bring his royal lineage. He knew that he couldn't bring his, the Hebrews didn't like him. The Egyptians didn't like him now. He was all by himself and, and, and circumstances led him into solitude. And what's interesting about this is that he sat next to a well. And in, and in the Bible, wells were these moments where transformation happened because they were the source of water, the spirit. Jacob, where he met his wife. We see Jesus in John chapter 4. He sits there with the woman by the well, and then it changes her life. So the well in ancient world was symbolic for a moment of transformation. So Moses' past leads him into solitude, and then he sits in the symbolic presence of God. You see, when your soul flourishes, sometimes you have to take a step back from everything you think that you have to do so that it flourishes, and you have to sit in solitude in the presence of God. Have any of you ever tried to sit in silence and ask God's presence to be there with you, and then you didn't say anything? Try that tomorrow. Put a little timer on your phone for three minutes. And if your mind starts wandering, just think, Jesus. 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 I guarantee you those three minutes are going to pass by so fast. You see, because we're so good at telling God what we need, telling Jesus what we need, but sometimes we have to just sit in God's presence and say, I don't, don't want to ask anything. I just want to know that you are near. And I guarantee you, that'll change things. And so I want to look at one last kind of story. I said that by the time this was over, I would share with you a few guidelines for how your soul can flourish. So this is a passage that I read. This is probably the 10th time I've mentioned this from this pulpit, but I want to invite you to Psalm chapter 1. I don't have a life verse. Have you guys ever heard people that have life verses? Like there's a verse that they can point to and say this is the one that is like the kind of propels me forward, the one that gives meaning. But if I had one, I think it would be Psalm 1. 
And the reason I'm not sharing with you is not just because I like it so much, but it's because it's so formative for how your soul can flourish. Psalm chapter 1. So my Bible says, happy are those. Yours might say, blessed are those. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. Who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Blessed are you who do not go after things that are wicked. Which is another way of saying any, going after things that are not God. Or who take the path that sinners tread. Or sit in the seat of scoffers. So he's saying, blessed are you. Happy are you if you don't go after things that are not holy and godly. Verse 2. Blessed are you if you delight in the law of the Lord. Now remember, when, when the psalmist was writing this, the law of the Lord were the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. So when we're reading this in 2019, we now realize that like the Holy Scripture is the Old Testament and the New Testament. So when we're reading this, it says, blessed are you, happy are you if you delight in Scripture. And on Scripture, you meditate day and night. This is where memorizing Scriptures that, you, that are good for you, that you like, is you know, you're meditating on it. Right? I don't know if any of you are reading the New Testament along with me, but reading one chapter a day, it takes a couple of minutes, but you can do it several times in the day, and that's part of meditating on it day and night. It's remembering. You see, I'm, I'm not so worried about all of you reading through the whole Bible, because listen, I've done that, and you don't, I, I don't retain that much. I retain a lot more when I read smaller chunks on a daily basis, and I can keep ruminating on it. But listen to this, happy are those who delight in the Bible and the Word and, and meditate on it day and night. Verse 3, listen to this, if you do this. And, and again, the reason that he's talking about the Bible is because we learn about God from here. We silence everything else and we enter into the presence of God. So this is also those who are in the presence of God. It says, verse 3, they are, plant, they are like trees planted by streams of, what does that say? Water. What does water symbolize in the Bible? The Spirit of God, the presence of God. They are planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season, so when trees are supposed to, and their leaves do not wither, in all that they do, they prosper. Now think about that for a second. How is it with your soul? It's really a question of, am I being filled by the Spirit of God? Am I like this tree that is planted, focusing and orienting my entire life on the person of God and the person of Jesus? And we won't be worried about all of the situations that are going on around us and wanting God to change all of that, because when you're living in the flow of the Spirit of God, you're not worried about all the other things that are going wrong, because you are like an oasis in a parched land, and from you flows the springs of living water. So I'm not going to tell you how to do that, because like I said, every one of us is very different in how we connect and interact with God. But what I do know is that you have to do it alone. You can't ask your wife or your husband or your significant other to do this for you. The path of soul flourishing can only be done by yourself and God. Obviously, I'd love for you to pray with your significant others. 
I'd love you to read scripture, devotionals, all, sing song, all that good stuff. But your soul will only flourish if it's something you do alone with God. And so solitude is important. Using scripture as a foundation for what we know about God and what God is asking us to do. But then allowing God to speak into each one of your lives and leading you. He is a light unto our feet. He is the, he is the pathfinder for your path. And if you're open to the presence of God, he will lead you and your soul will flourish. Thank you.